I'm Mitch McCracken, and this is Memphis Music Interview. My guest today is Linda Gale Lewis, the killer's little sister. As you will hear, Linda Gale has her own talent and even toured with her brother. I asked how old she was when Jerry Lee got his record deal with Sun. I'm pretty sure, you know, I'm terrible with dates and things like that. Uh-huh. But but I'm I would have been around eight years old, and I'm pretty sure I was eight years old because when I was in the third grade in Jonesville, Louisiana, we was of course back then still living uh, down at Black River. Uh, that Daddy was a sharecropper, you know, uh-huh. and that's where we were living when when Jerry. Uh, First, you know, went up to Memphis. And, well, he went to Nashville first and then came back through Memphis. And, and yeah, I, I was about eight years old then. And we, we were so excited that that record was coming out. And we expected uh, big things to happen. You know, I, I told somebody um, not too long ago, I was we were talking about my brother and his success. And I said, you know, my mother and daddy never said if Jerry makes it. They always said when. Uh-huh. Well, uh, that makes a lot of difference, too, uh, when when your family is behind you. Well, you know, he's just so amazing. He is absolutely so amazing. And and as a child, even, I mean, he could just sit down at the piano and just play anything. And, and has a, just a wonderful singing voice and his uh, the way he's, he phrases and... The, there's nobody. Can, I mean, this is, of course, my humble opinion. <laughs> but I, yeah. to to me, he's the greatest country singer in the world. And he's the greatest rock and roll singer in the world, and I, nobody can touch him on the piano. The Jerry D. Lewis impersonators copy some of the rock and roll licks, but if you ask them to play "Somewhere Over the Rainbow" or some of those beautiful country songs that he recorded, they can't do that because Jerry did something really special on those those songs it sounds like um it, it sounds like classical music but made to fit into a country song on the piano just amazing uh piano licks that he played on, on his albums his country albums he's just um he's just uh, amazing he's an amazing uh genius wow that's great that you feel that way about your brother of course a lot of people feel that way about jerry lee lewis well and and i'm one of them you know i get along great with his fans because i am one (laughs) yeah (laughs) well now how old were you when you started going out on the road with jerry i was young because you know i I had gotten married and that didn't work out and i got back home and i said you know i just hate school I mean, they was teaching stuff like algebra. I couldn't even imagine how to do that. Yeah. <laughs> what, yeah. what in the world is that? Really? I, I was struggling with percentages. <laughs> right. And and what would you use it for in life? You know, it's like <laughs> terrible. Yeah, I I swore I'd never use math in life. But, but I t- I told my brother and my mother and daddy. I said, look, I I just can't do this. So let me go on the road. I just begged to go on the road, and my brother loves me, and he's so he's so good to me. And of course, I wanted to go, and he took me. I was really pretty useless those first few years, but <laughs> I, I, but I, <laughs> but he let me have those years to learn and and to grow as a singer. And of course, uh, I started playing piano later on when when I started my solo career. Right. Well, now I, he tried to teach you to play when you were younger, didn't he? Well, you know. Well, I used to sit on, the, on his lap when I was a toddler, 
Uh-huh. And he had he had taught me how to play the Tennessee Waltz on the Black Keys. And and that was back, you know, when I I, I was barely walking by that age. Uh-huh. And it, and uh, he, he just thought that was the coolest thing that I could learn that that I could do it. So I'd go sit on his lap and play the Tennessee Waltz. Uh-huh. But you know, I always knew how to make chords and stuff on the piano. It wasn't a problem because I I you know I'm a songwriter. Uh-huh. Even back in in my teenage years, I was a songwriter. So I needed an instrument to make the chords to write the melodies and and to to write the songs so i could always do that that wasn't a problem and i remember one time on the road uh, i wanted to do uh let me be there because it was a big hit record for um olivia newton john oh yeah yeah so i wanted to do that song and i of course had been singing it at home to learn it and just playing the chords to it so when we were in i think we were in helsinki yeah we were in helsinki finland and i said to kenny lovelace i said i really want to do that song but he's, of course, the, he was the band leader then and still is now. And I said, Kenny, I, I know the chords to it. Could y'all follow the chords if I just sat at the piano, if I just sit at the piano and play the chords? Can y'all follow me? And he said, oh, of course we can. Of course, Jerry's always had, you know, great musicians. Uh-huh. And so I, I don't remember exactly who was playing bass then, but they didn't miss a lick. And the drummer, of course, followed us. And, and I did that song in Helsinki, Finland. Sitting at that big grand piano, oh, <laughs> just wow. playing, just playing the chord on it. So it, it's a really nice memory. I bet you have a lot of uh, on the road memories and stories. Well, uh, I do. That's true. I, I really do, and I've been really blessed to to have my brother to take me under his wing, and mm-hmm. and then, but later on, Mitch, when I was, I think in my twenties, uh-huh. or maybe maybe yeah, I would have been in my late twenties by then. We were on the road, and we were in Germany, and they had a piano backstage because it was a it was a concert place where concert pianists played classical music. So there was a bunch of pianos backstage, and one in Jerry's dressing room, and and we sat down. And I said, you know, Jerry, show me how to play some of these, you know, rock and roll boogie woogie licks that you play. Mm-hmm. And he he said, well, I'm going to show you something that will really help you with that. He said, I'm, I'm only going to show it to you once, so don't ask me to show you again, and you'll have to get it the first time. And we sat there, and he showed me this thing to do on the piano, which would kind of remind you of uh, a Bach invention. You know, Bach wrote these inventions for his students, another genius. And so yeah. <laughs> so, so he showed me this, and, and I remembered it. So then when I was 39 and started my solo career, and I needed to play the piano because I wanted to do a lot of Jerry's material mm-hmm. for his fans, for his fans. And the only way to make that work was for me to play it because I had a piano player in my band there in Memphis and uh, Dr. Franklin had given me a gig and he had put together a band for me and the piano player just didn't play the style of uh, my brother's music. Mm-hmm. So I told him, I said, well, that's okay. I'll just play the piano and, I'll just let you go on and play in some other band, and thank you very much. So, <laughs> See you later. <laughs> and everybody except for everybody except for Robbie Turner laughed at me, and I guess Robbie was right because I am playing the piano. But Robbie Turner is a genius. I was listening to a song that I recorded with him, and I remembered that he actually played the piano on that song, and. He played uh, steel guitar. And what song is that? 
is a song that I just put up on, um, well, my, my son-in-law put it up for me. It's an album called uh, I'll Take Memphis. And, and it's two songs on there that Robbie produced. The rest of the album just sounds like regular roots music, like blues and rock and roll. And, and But there's these two songs. One of them is a country song, and one of them is like a pop song kind of thing. And uh, I, I just loved those songs, and I wanted to do them, and I felt like, the studio musicians that was playing the blues and the rock and roll wouldn't fit on those particular songs. So Robbie helped me do them, and, and he produced them. Uh, I was married to that uh, crazy Elvis impersonator at the time, and uh, he was supposed to be and thought he was going to be the producer. And he's strutting around the studio, knows he knew nothing. He can't play any instrument. And, and, Robbie, <laughs> and Robbie heard the songs, and he liked them. So he walked up to uh, the, the Elvis guy and he said, now I want you to go away and shut up. <laughs> and, and, I, <laughs> and I will take care of this. I will take care of this. And you know, uh, I guess that Elvis guy wasn't really all that stupid because he looked up at Robbie and, and said, okay, and walked away. <laughs> and and Robbie sat down at the piano on one of those songs, and he started playing it. And, of course, the other musicians just fell right in. I think Ray Gann was playing bass on that. And I think we had maybe Fred Norman on drums. And But when Robbie started playing that on the piano, it was magic. I could never have played that like that at that time, Mitch, because I hadn't been playing the piano very long. Uh -huh. There's no way I could have played that song with all those beautiful chords in it. And No, it would have been a total disaster. Robbie saved my life on that one. I'm very blessed to be able to do what I do. And, of course, uh, my rock and roll is, is what I love so much because it's so much fun. It's so much fun to do rock and roll and um that's um i mean i love my country music but i have to do a lot of rock and roll because it's it's fun and it gets the audience up and going so i just stay with what you know i do well and now i did record dark end of the street for our dan penn it was his idea and when i met him you know he's a close friend of eddie's uh -huh. they owned a, they owned a studio together in memphis called beautiful sounds right and of course they've been close close friends and still are and and you know I didn't know Dan, and from the things that I'd read about him and things that he'd said before, he sounded to me a little bit like he might be a little bit obnoxious or something. So I was really nervous about meeting him. And we walked into his home in Nashville, him and Linda Gale, what a sweet lady she is. She's just wonderful. And we, and we walked in, and I met Dan and found him to be one of the most warm and charming people I've ever met in my life. So warm and friendly and charming. And, and after I'd been there maybe 10 minutes or something, he reached over and got his guitar and sang Dark End of the Street for me in a way that I'd never heard it. Because I'd never heard Dan live. I'd never heard him sing and play his guitar live. I know many people have and, have, and they had at that time too, but I hadn't. And I was shocked. I mean, the, the way he's, I guess they call that blue-eyed soul or something, the way he sings, it, it's amazing. Right, yeah. And, and so he said to me, he said, I think you should record this song, because I was working on an album at the time. And I said, well, you know, if Dan Penn thinks that, I'm certainly going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <'cause... laughs> and then I did it, Mitch, and I was scared to death that Dan wasn't going to like it. Because one thing I knew about him before I met him, 
is that Dan Penn will say exactly what he, what he thinks. Exactly. He's not going to sugarcoat anything. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I said, if he doesn't like what I've done with this song, he's going to tell me and it's going to break my heart. But, uh, you know, he listened to it and, and it, it made me so happy because he really liked it a lot. That really makes you feel good when it's someone who created it. It was a big relief. I'll tell you, it was a big relief. And then, of course, after that, I went to hear him at the Bluebird, him and Spooner. Uh-huh. And, and, of course, Spooner is a great songwriter as well and a great piano player. And so we're sitting there and Spooner's playing his piano and Dan's playing his guitar and singing all these songs. And I didn't even know how many hit songs he had written. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I know. That went on for an hour. <laughs> <laughs> I'd look over at Eddie and say, he wrote that? Yeah. Or they wrote that, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it, it was great. But, yeah, that was my experience with Dan. And uh, it was such a blessing that that I was, of course, uh, able to meet him and, and experience what a wonderful person he is. Now, now talking about amazing uh, recording artists, you had the opportunity to work with uh, one of my heroes, uh, Van Morris. Talk about a great songwriter. Yeah, he's a great songwriter. Oh, he sure is. Uh, and he's a great singer. Yeah, and uh, man, he's been around forever. And now, did you do a did you do a whole album of duets with him? Yes, I, I'm the only artist that he's ever okay. done. A, a duets album with you know that's my claim to fame i'm the only artist that jeremy lewis did a complete duets album with the only artist that van morrison did a complete duets album with and robbie fox as well so <laughs> wow how was it working with van morris well you know i can't say that it was easy because it wasn't easy but i can say this i really learned a lot because you know when you learn a lot of different styles of music it helps you when you go back to your own style because i had to i didn't have to play on on van's hits and, and all of his songs that he was doing in the show and he was very nice about it and he told me he said man linda you know i can have someone else to come on and play when i'm doing my part of the show he said, because you may not want to stay out on stage and, and you may not want to learn all these songs because to be on the stage with him, you've got to know around 100 or 150 of his songs because he changes the set list just about every night. Oh, so, wow. So I thought, well, now that will be a challenge because I've never played that kind of music before. But if I leave the stage and leave the piano, that makes me look stupid. Like I can't play his stuff and I'm not going to do that. So right. he, he was uh, really nice about, you know, providing me with all the material that I needed. And he sent me a really nice uh, rolling piano to my apartment, to my, they call them flats over there. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so I had a flat in Wales and um, this, these two men came in one day and it was, there was a storm. And they said, you know, they've closed a lot of the roads. We almost never could get here with this piano. But they brought it to my flat or my apartment and, and I started learning those songs. And I learned every one of them. And it helped me so much as a piano player because when I came back and that project was over and I went in the studio here in Austin, Texas, I didn't live here then. I lived in uh -huh. Georgia, but I flew here to Austin to do a recording session. And I did some songs that I had written. And when I went home and I was playing them for Eddie, my husband, uh -huh. Eddie, on this one song in particular, Eddie said, who is that that's playing the piano? Because, you know, sometimes you use other piano players when you're recording. 
Uh-huh. So Eddie said, who is that playing the piano? That's great. I said, well, actually, Eddie, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> so it was, it was really good for me. And, of course, it was a wonderful experience. And it was flattering to have someone like Van Morris to want to do a duets album with me. Right. And you played some of your brother's material with uh, Van Morrison on stage. The album is actually called You Went Again. Right, but I was talking about Hello Josephine and a whole lot of shaking going on. Oh, yeah, you must have seen that video. Well, well, you know, I, I had never done that very much. But Van and the people that worked with him got the biggest kick out of that. Uh-huh. And, and so I just did it every night because I just thought it was great, you know. And, and then, of course, I've been working with Robbie Fox, and he was all, like one night, I had got a little pull muscle or something in my leg. I didn't do it. And the next day, Robbie said, you didn't play the piano last night with your with your foot. <laughs> <laughs> like you forgot. <laughs> and I said, oh, I'm sorry, darling. I'll do it tonight because we were on tour, of course, and we were playing the very next night. So as bad as it hurt, Mitch, uh-huh. <laughs> get my foot up there and kick the hell out of that piano. <laughs> and you did it. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, I, I was doing that a lot back then, still doing it now. So, praise God, I can still do it. Um, yeah, I'm very fortunate, very blessed. Uh, wow, so now, have you ever played with your with your cousin, Mickey Gilly? I did a show with him. Uh, you know, Mickey can't play the piano anymore because he fell and broke his neck. Oh, wow. No, so, I didn't know that. But you know, I admire him so much because he just carries right on with his career. He sits on a stool and holds a, a hand mic with one hand because he, he still can, uh, he has feeling in everything and can use his right hand. Uh-huh. Just, his left hand and his left arm are paralyzed. So he sits there with that uh, hand mic and sings all those country hits that he had. And he had a bunch of them. Boy, he sure did. And when he's singing those... He tells stories about how they were recorded, and uh, I love the story that he told about how he got his first really big hit country song. He had gone, he went and got a, a bunch of people drunk at a publishing company, and when they got all got really drunk, he went in and got songs out of the uh, files. Oh, wow. oh no! He stole songs. What happened is he went in and, and got those songs and just took them. And, uh, of course, Stoll sounds more dramatic, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, it does. <laughs> he got the, the people at the publishing company really drunk. And he went in then into where their files were and got the really good songs that they weren't. no one was giving him at that time. So he got some really good songs. And then I guess they were embarrassed about being uh, drunk there and everything. And, I, and, of course, he had to have their permission to record them after that. Right. But, I mean, I'm sure they were embarrassed to, to have to admit that that they'd gotten that drunk. So they just went ahead and let him do the songs for whatever reason. And uh, if I can ever figure out who they are and I ever see them, I'll ask them. But Mickey tells that story, and then he does those songs. And there was, you know, of course, his very first really big hits. He said nobody right. nobody would give him the really good songs. They were giving them to other people. So yeah. that's how he got them. He got them all yeah. drunk, went into their files, and got the really good stuff. <laughs> Yeah, because you you got to have a name to get the really good stuff. Right, but I'll tell you what, after he recorded them, then he had the name. I want to ask you a question. Okay, darling. But what you said about uh, Van Morrison, I kind of got the impression that he was hard to work with. In the beginning, I didn't have a problem. I gave my notice, and then he became hard to work with, like he was 
normally with everybody because up until that time he was easy for me to work with uh-huh well you, you were new <laughs> well you know he's a jerry D. lewis fan and uh-huh. and you know i'm i'm a pretty patient person really and i know one time i started him off in the wrong key in in oslo norway on a song it was i can't stop loving you and he turned around uh-huh. and he cursed the band leader out because <laughs> he couldn't and he didn't really know you know what had happened why it was in the wrong key and i was i was the one right. that started the song and, and so then we were in the car afterwards going back to the hotel and he said what exactly happened <laughs> what exactly happened on I'm, i can't stop loving you i said well man if you want to know the truth about it i had you in the wrong key uh-huh he, he didn't realize that well he knew it was the wrong key but he didn't know who had done it Oh, and I said okay. it was. You know, I started the song off, and I forgot that I had the transpose button on for some like really difficult thing he was doing in the E flat. <laughs> I mean, I, I didn't oh, even God. seriously start playing the piano until I was you know thirty nine, and I was like uh-huh. E flat, no, <laughs> and, <laughs> and and all of it, a, a lot of his songs, not all, but a lot of his songs had really complicated melodies and. A lot of, you know, chord changes and stuff. And, you know, rock and roll is three and four chords. And that's it. Country, too. Right. Except for the, right. except for the yeah. two songs I did and Robbie Turner played them back in 1987 or whatever that was. I had to learn all that stuff. And it wasn't easy. It was not easy. And I, did, I wanted to go back to playing rock and roll and country and a little bit of blues and I, I love my gigs. You know, I have a real love for my audience. And I had to stop that for a year. Wow, really? Well, that's that's what was so nice about doing the project with Robbie, because he does the same kind of music I do. So I didn't have to uh-huh. give up my audience. And, and he, didn't, he didn't have to give right. up his. I mean, I have new fans now from his audience, and, and he has new fans uh, from mine. He is an amazing songwriter. And when it comes to flat picking on the guitar... Everybody says that I've ever talked to that knows anything. You know, they sure there's some idiots that probably would know. <laughs> but any, any intelligent, talented person in this business will tell you that Robbie Fawkes is the best flat picker in the world today. And in my opinion, right now, he's writing the best songs of anybody in the world. I love his songs. You know, he was Grammy nominated twice. And we got so many really great reviews. I'm I'm talking about uh, Rolling Stone, the Wall Street Journal, uh, just everybody in the world. Uh, It it was amazing. And it's been the most wonderful project. And, and, And Robbie wrote a song called Hard Luck Louisiana about my humble beginnings, mine and Jerry's humble beginnings. I read where you had said that you're waiting on a movie to be done on Jerry Lee's life that uh, would be more accurate than Great Balls of Fire. Well, you know, the directors and producers of of Great Balls of Fire wanted that movie to be uh, the way it was. That was what they wanted to do, you know, something silly and... And, you know, Jerry D. Lewis is not a silly person. He's not a silly entertainer. And so they told him, and they had Dennis Quaid to act silly. But Dennis Quaid would never have done that if they hadn't made him, because he's a great actor. He could could have done it anyway. You know, he could have done it the right way if they would have let him do that. But this is what they wanted to make. And, you know, when I saw the movie they did on Ray Charles, then I felt 
that see something like that would have been so much better because that movie about Ray Charles is, it's of course it's dramatic at times, but it tells the real story. And and Great yeah. Balls of Fire was just a thing, you know. But a lot of people really enjoy Great Balls of Fire. I meet people all the time that say they love that movie. It's one of their favorite movies. So it's a good thing that that, that, they, that they did the movie. It's a great thing that they did the movie. I have read and seen some things that uh, Jerry Lee has said that I really embraced. Yes, darling. Because he said... I didn't hear an interview where he said it. I just read that that he had said that when he went over to England to do that tour right after he got married and they booed him because Myra was so young. And he said, I married my teen bride and Elvis is living with one and he's the good guy and I'm not. Yeah, I mean, there was, a certain, there was a certain kind of way that they handled things for Elvis, and but uh, they, they didn't handle anything for Jerry. Yeah. And to be quite honest, Jerry D. Lewis is not the kind of person that you would try to tell him what to do because that, that just will not work. It's like my husband and I were there watching uh, football with him, and uh, Jerry said something about LSU being at that time. I think he said number three. And my husband said, oh, no, actually, Jerry, they're number four. And I said, no, if Jerry says they're number three, Eddie, that's what they are. They're number three. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and he, he wasn't any different from that back when he was in his 20s. So, <laughs> Right, yeah. And I, you know, I, I heard the stories about uh, shooting the drummer. No, uh, it was the bass player. And, and what had happened was this old gangster guy that was a real good friend of ours, and we just loved him. Uh, everybody called him Dagwood. Dagwood came in and handed Jerry a loaded 357 Magnum, and Jerry was sitting behind a desk, you know, at, at a, in a chair that it'll go back, you know, real easy. Uh-huh. So that that pistol went off when he handed it to Jerry. It had a hair trigger on it. The um, chair went backwards, and Jerry went backwards in the chair, and a fragment from the bullet. The bullet hit something close to where the bass player was. And it, it went into his chest, and they just got a, They got a um, helicopter out there. Got him. He they were out in Collierville at that time. Uh-huh. At, uh, Jerry was married to a lady. Her name was Jaron, and she she had a home out there in Collierville, and that's where they were. That's where this happened. And um, the helicopter came and got him and took him to the hospital, and they patched him up, and he's still alive today. Okay, and, but I, and he's that, not playing with Jerry anymore. But he's still alive. <laughs> The truth, the truth is, is that he is Jerry Lee Lewis is one of the kindest people in the world. When we were kids growing up, he would go and get little crickets and things that were hurt, uh-huh. and he would t- take them outside. And my sister Frankie Jean would come and, and sometimes before he could get a hold of them and just stomp them and oh, kill them, <laughs> and then they fight. Oh, yeah. oh, God. <laughs> of course, she was only. She was only four years older than me, so she was just she was a, a bit younger than Jerry, and they were just kids. And yeah. yeah, yeah, she was never as tender-hearted as Jerry was. I don't know of anybody that is. He's very tender-hearted. Well, yeah, that's not what you hear. That's not the stories that you hear because they're more fun to tell. <laughs> oh yeah, and I mean he—he's you know he's not going to take a whole lot of—he's uh, not going to take a whole lot from anybody. 
Right. But when it, when it comes right down to it, as far as him like actually being that careless to, or just to deliberately shoot somebody, he would never ever do that. Yeah. That would never happen. That nickname is, might be the. Well, there's enough. There's enough Jerry Lee Lewis stories that you don't have to. You don't have to lie or make anything up, right? Because there's this. When I did tales from the tour bus, that uh, Mike Judge uh, did that wonderful cartoon series about uh, Jerry and uh, George Jones and Johnny Paycheck and a whole bunch of people. It, it was like a whole series, uh-huh. and and I, and I did an interview for Jerry's part of it, and and I, I just told the truth because it was quite funny when when we were all there and, and there was a party going on and. And then people had gotten sleepy and tired and wanted to leave and go home, go to bed. And Jerry wasn't ready for anybody to leave yet. And then there was also people falling asleep on couches and stuff. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, and I told him, I said, Jerry, people are just, they're tired. They're falling asleep and they need to go home. And so he, he got his machine gun out and just sprayed the ceiling with bullets. Oh, my God. <laughs> but there was, never any, there was never anybody's life in danger. But everybody, but everybody did wake up. I bet they did in in the the home of the killer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my, my mother called that place the party house because that was after Jerry and Myers split up and she had moved away to Georgia. Uh-huh. And and that was his, he had like a, a bachelor pad and a party house <laughs> for for a while. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what you do when you get divorced. Yeah. <laughs> you got to do something. Thanks to Linda Gale Lewis for sitting down and talking to me. Coming up next week, I talk to Danny Jones, who was involved in some music projects in Memphis, Muscle Shoals, and New Orleans. So make sure you're with us on Memphis Music Interview, Memphis Music History Told from the Inside. I'm Mitch McCracken, and I hope to see you then. Memphis Music Interview is a Get Kraken production.